This episode of Live from CapTime's Idea Fest is sponsored by Exact Sciences. Learn more about Exact Sciences' mission to beat cancer through early detection at exactsciences.com. Hello, and welcome to Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. I'm Eric Lawrenson. Over the course of the coming weeks, we're going to be bringing you recordings from the second annual Cap Times Idea Fest, a two day event on the University of Wisconsin Madison campus full of smart conversations about politics, community, and culture. On today's episode, how to get millennials to swipe right on Wisconsin. It's said that Wisconsin has a brain drain, an expression referring to the idea that the state's young talent ends up leaving for other cities around the country after getting their education here. At the Cap Times Idea Fest, millennials from Madison who have found success as entrepreneurs, consultants, and business leaders gathered to talk about what they think the city and the state is doing right and what it's doing wrong in order to retain and attract younger demographics. Audrey Buchanan, an interviewer and filmmaker with The Woods Productions, moderated the talk. I'll let her kick things off and introduce the other guests. I hope you enjoy the conversation. (laughs) Thank you for being here. So we are really excited to be here. All four of us grew up in Madison and are really proud of that. It's something that we really value and we know that our careers uh, and our successes and the people we are and the values we have are really um, benefited based on the fact that we were raised here by a lot of incredible people, most of whom are in the front row. So thank you, parents. (laughs) Give them a round of applause. So you're here because you uh, hopefully are excited to hear some of our thoughts around... Can you hear me, by the way? No? Okay, cool. Let's put this right by my mouth. Uh, We're here because we want to just share some of our thoughts around why we really love and believe in the state of Wisconsin. As I said, we know that our successes are really built upon the fact that we learned and were mentored by... Learned from and were mentored by strong people in Wisconsin... And we have found that there are other cities and other places that have taken us to uh, new heights and new sets of discoveries and new people that we've been blessed to meet. And we want to just talk with you a little bit about what Wisconsin can do to cultivate some of that magic here locally so that when people like us grow up here, there's a lot of young people in this audience. Our friend Manolo's here. He's a senior at Shabazz. Our friend Savian's here. He's in his final year at UW. And we want to know what's going to create a climate where people like Manolo and Savian want to stay here and they want to build their lives here and they want to build their businesses here and affect change here as opposed to being drawn to other cities. So that's kind of the question that we're posing. Well, I'm going to take this moment. My name is Audrey. I grew up in Madison. I went to Glendale Elementary School. I went to Senate Middle School and on to La Follette High School. What's up? And uh, I have went on to do a lot of interesting work around event production and film production started my own production company called The Woods, and most recently lived in Los Angeles primarily for the last 10 years and moved back to Madison in June. So I drove my Prius across the country, my aunt came from Minnesota, and we camped our way back to Madison. 
uh, because it really felt like a great time to come back here, to be present in term for my family uh, and with my family. And it felt really new and different. It was something that I wrestled and debated about for 10 years because I think what you're going to hear from all four of us is that it kind of is a heartbreaking feeling. You want you first, as the woman mentioned in the back, leave Madison really excited to venture out and see what's out in the world. And as you get into your 30s, you really start to feel those pangs, kind of like a homing pigeon who's like, what am I feeling? I miss my family. I miss Badger games, even if I don't still understand football. <laughs> I... <laughs> And so, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about that, but that's my personal story, and it's been so fun to be back here. I feel so lucky to have spent this, the summer surrounded by people I love, actually getting to see your parents on a weekly basis. We, we've been devoid of that for like a decade or more than a decade in the places that we've lived, so that's been really special. So to my right, with no further ado, I'm just going to read off because these people have really achieved monumental things out in the world. We have Alexandra Naboa. She is a bilingual journalist and communications coordinator for the Houston Astros. She went to Edgewood High School. Uh, she went on to attend UW-Madison where she got her BA in Latin American Studies, Political Science, and Spanish Lit. She received a master's degree in multimedia journalism and communication from Florida International University in Miami. She was born in Puerto Rico, very proud of her Dominican and Colombian roots, and this has really allowed her to have a diverse cultural background and linguistic background where she's been able to work in Colombia, Dominican Republic, and in Spain. And prior to joining the Astros, she was actually working with the St. Louis Cardinals, where she was their international communication specialist and Spanish translator. She's now based in Houston, Texas, represent, uh, and she moved there around March, so that's a new chapter for her. Down at the end of the table, I'm going to hop over to Andrew Bentley. Andrew is raised on the southeast side of Madison. He graduated from La Follette. While studying, at the, studying journalism at Northwestern University, he interned at the Capital Times for a summer. So he's actually you know, worked with and been a part of our host, uh, the Capital Times, the progressive paper in Madison. He then went on to work at Google for 10 years, which is really impressive. He started in sales. He moved into corporate social responsibility, where he actually built a national team focused on addressing the digital divide. So thank you for doing that work, Andrew. He, in 2008, he took a break from Google and served as a field organizer with the Obama campaign. He also is the co-founder of something called Global Health Corps. This is something that he co-founded with Barbara Bush Jr. and a lot of other really brilliant young people that he met along his path. And Global Health Corps is focused on building a pipeline of young leaders working towards health equity in six countries that include the United States. In 2016, he left Google and went out um, in hopes to spend more time with his lovely wife and their new baby, and he started a company called Father Figure, which is a lifestyle brand for new dads. Uh, Andrew recently appeared, as many of you know, on ABC's Shark Tank, where he pitched that company last year to Mark Cuban in a panel of judges, and I know that uh, way beyond Madison, but I know everyone in Wisconsin loved watching him sell it. So in addition to pitching Mark Cuban with all of his makeup, uh, throughout the duration of this path, and there's so much more to Andrew's story, he lived in eight cities around the United States and in South America, and most recently he moved from Washington, D.C. with his family to Minneapolis. So welcome back to the Midwest, Andrew. Last but certainly not least, we have in the middle Anne-Marie Malika. She was born and raised in Madison. Anne-Marie is a senior vice president and equity partner at Desen Hall Resources in Washington, D.C., 
This is a really uh, premier public affairs firm. She deals with crisis communications, public affairs, advocacy strategy for a wide range of Fortune 500 companies, trade associations, and nonprofit orgs. Uh, her clients span a lot of sectors, which I found interesting, from defense, food and agriculture, consumer products, legal, healthcare, biotech, energy, financial services, technology, education, and retail. And before this, Anne-Marie was serving on Capitol Hill. Uh, so she's been in D.C. for a while now. She served as the communications director and on-the-record spokeswoman for C Congressman Robert Adderholt. And his <coughs> chairmanships in the House Appropriations, Homeland Security, and Agriculture subcommittees. During her tenure in government, Anne-Marie also served in the congressional offices of representatives from Minnesota and Texas. So she really has the District of Columbia held down strong um, in terms of this panel. And so... I think it'd be cool if we could just start by a uniting factor when we first got on the phone was talking about the values we were raised with here. And that as we went on in the world and lived in really interesting places, you kind of know that there's these heart-centered things that always stick with you. And so if each of you can just kind of share what you feel like you were imbued with when you were raised you know, on the southeast side of Madison and Middleton, uh, what are some of the things that come to mind? I've been reflecting a lot on my upbringing. And I I think the process of being on that show helped me do that because the outpouring of support from Madison was overwhelming. The emails and calls and texts and it, more than any other place I've ever been, Madison really supported me through that uh, tough process. So I've been thinking about Madison a lot. And when I think about something that instilled, that I was instilled with in Madison, it was definitely a, a sense of grittiness growing up on the Southeast side. And in middle school at Senate, um, the, there are tremendous educators there. And my homeroom teacher, Lois Bell, uh, I had her for three years. And when I was there in sixth grade, she recognized that I had an interest in math. And she said, oh, I have plans for you. <laughs> and she did. I, she woke up at something like four in the morning every day formulating her plans for all of her kids. And her plan for me was to go into advanced math, and she pressed me to do that on a daily basis, and she knew I had potential and aptitude. And, and when things got hard, she did not, there were no excuses. I could not give her an excuse. She said, no, do it again. And that formed a sense of grittiness uh, and great habits for me that I think carried through high school into my academic career and my professional world. So yeah, that's the word I would... I would envision, and it boils down to an individual educator. I mean, there's a whole group of people that fostered that, but I, Lois, uh, Mrs. Bell, really sticks in my mind there. So I, I grew up on the east side, and I also went to Senate in La Follette, and it's great to see some of our teachers here today. Um, but I have realized that uh, living in Washington, D.C., which is a super fast-paced city, and there's a lot of really motivated people, that there is nothing like the work ethic and the humility that comes from growing up in a place like Madison. Um, I knew that I knew how to work hard, but I did not know that you could do that in a way that was so understated and not in other people's faces. And, and I think having that and seeing it in my peers and my teachers and my friends and my family uh, is something that you just can't get anywhere else. I totally agree with Anne-Marie, and um, I will just say that what I have grown up with is uh, what I feel like I've taken with me throughout all the different places I've lived in has been the value that we place on education here in Madison, in my household. I've carried that, and 
for instance, when I lived in Miami and people would ask me, where are you from? I would say Madison. And they're like, Wisconsin, where's that? Isn't that in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> and I would say, no, it's not. And I, when I think of Madison, I think of um, just the value we place on education. I was growing up, I was brought up with, uh, to think with an open mind, to be tolerant, to just a very liberal household. And I'm, I'm so proud of um, my education. And everywhere I've gone, I've been able to rely on that. I'm proud to say I'm from Madison. I graduated from the University of, of Madison. And that's something that I carry with me and will continue to do so. So one of my curiosities is that we just heard a laundry list of the amazing things you have went on to do professionally. And I want to know whether it was the lowest bell and it was in school settings or if it was outside of school. Who started to mentor each of you professionally and personally in terms of character development, in terms of starting to identify what you might do eventually professionally? I know that a lot of us ended up, have ended up working in a hosting capacity or kind of public speaking capacities. And maybe that was because we were, you know, emceeing our middle school talent shows at, you know, the variety show in the La Follette Auditorium or whatever that might have been. But something we heard in other panels throughout this conference has been around uh, really cultivating strong mentorship in communities throughout Wisconsin. So tell me who was mentoring you and how are you starting to identify, you know, dots that now connect to where you are in your 30s? I think I'll start out by saying um, at home, my mother was always a mentor of mine just because she's a professor and education was never questioned. It was a must in the household and um, she set the bar very high and that was always a goal of mine. And um, what, are, what am I going to do with my life? It was always centered, centered around education and what the next step is. But I also, I'll follow up with saying that um, I had two professors, my political science professors, um, specifically in Latin American professors, Francisco Scarano, I don't know if he's still here, and Ben Marcus, um, they really helped, um, I would say, fuel the interest that I had in political science and Latin American studies, which eventually led me to want to get a master's degree in journalism. And more so, the, the program that I was looking for in Florida International University was a, um, a bilingual, a Spanish and English uh, master's degree, and that, I think, um, helped mentor me that way. Also, my sister, she's a lawyer. She went to the uh, law school here. And um, the hard work, the, um, the work ethic, and the education, everything, in, everything around my life was set at a very high standard. So that really helped me bring, bring, bring to me to this point. I think the point that Audrey brings up about mentorship is so key. And I did not know I was being mentored when it was happening. I had these great leaders in my community and my family and uh, also educators. Rose Powers, who was the business teacher at La Follette for ages. Um, she retired, I believe, when we were juniors. And she really helped me see that I had a mind for strategy and uh, business and marketing and that that could be a career I could take into just about anything that I wanted to be and while I'm in public affairs and a lot of what I do is involved in government I still run a business we are a firm we have to keep the lights on and keep people paid and and having that combination of being able to work with um, young staff that are just coming out of college to some of my partners who are in their 50s and 60s uh, and being able to bridge that gap both ways I think formal mentorship is something that I have taken and run with since I've left here, working with uh, as many youth as I can, as well as college kids. And, and I sort of wish that that was a more formalized process when I was a part of it. That said, I don't know that I would have gotten what I got out of it if it was. So I think this idea that 
not only being mentored by individuals, but being mentored by the community, whether it was um, you know, through the East Side and my parents' friends and their friends and my parents and all of that. Um, you just soak up so much because there's so many people that are willing to impart that wisdom on you. Um, and that has been something that I hope that we carry with to the next generation as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of my influences, there's so many I could name. I think I would probably have to go with my group of friends from undergrad. Uh, I think you really are a product of your environment and the friends you keep and associate with. They normalize different things. And for me, my friends worked really hard in school and it normalized achievement. And it showed me that I, I gave me the confidence to apply to a great uh, employer like Google. And it gave me the confidence to approach people at conferences and say, hey, what do you think about starting a nonprofit together? So I, I think, and also, um, my wife was in that group of friends and you know, I admire her so much. I think the associations we build in our friendships are really important and it, it definitely showed through, through my career. I, so I, I'll preface this by saying I love Madison. There are things I think that any city could improve when it comes to attracting and, and attaining talent, uh, attracting talent, retaining talent. And this is, you know, there's like four big things in my mind. This is one that's a little bit more deeper and tends to be a, a touchier subject, but I think I'll just start with it. I think that in order to be a better city and to attract Millennials with college degrees or just talented individuals, it, Madison has to continue to address uh, racial inequities um, of all measures, whether it's education, whether it's health, um, whether it's income. Uh, but these are things that people care a lot about. And I knew it was an issue when I was in middle school and high school. And I looked around and I was the only person of color in my advanced placement classes. I felt that. It's harder. I was at La Follette yesterday meeting with teachers, and one of them, one of the science teachers said, like, a lot of the minority students, they drop out of my advanced classes because they're the only one, and that's hard, and it really is. And I think those things have to be addressed, not just to a, a retain uh, minority talent, but also to attract everyone because our generation really, truly cares about diversity and we're going, we, we understand, uh, we know what it feels like to be in diverse places and what that should feel like. I lived in New York City in Brooklyn, and to me, that place and the diversity I felt there and the creativity there that it affords and the energy and the conversation and all of that is really tremendous. And I think that's something that Madison could approve upon. I did move to Minneapolis recently. Minneapolis is not like the country of Wakanda, right? Like it, it, it has issues too. I'm still like kind of looking out my window with a skeptical eye. Um, but there, there are things that are improving in the Twin Cities. The St. Paul mayor is a young person of color. The superintendent of schools in St. Paul is Joe Gothard, who's a person of color who went to La Follette, was a principal there. The Gothards are Eastsiders. Um, so there are things improving. And I know that it's a really hard issue, but to me, it, it is fundamental. I think that's an issue that 
leads into this idea of industry. There is industry missing for Madison. There's been some major investment that's come back in recent years, but has that investment taken into account the people that might want to come back? You know, Google attracts an enormous amount of talent from literally all over the world. And in D.C., people want to come to D.C. because it's the only Washington, D.C. in the country. It's the only place that you can come to do some of those things. And Madison has some of that that je ne sais quoi that DC does, but it doesn't have the investment industry and pipeline for talent. I would not have known that I could be in business and own a business or um, go work on Capitol Hill if it wouldn't have been for the people in my life that said that was an option. And I think in a lot of cases, people just don't know what's there. And you've seen some investment come back to Madison in the form of Epic, and there have been some uh, new companies popping up in Milwaukee and some smaller entrepreneurships, which are great, but I don't think people understand that you could come here and have a pipeline for talent, and that all has to come at the same time. You know, you need to know that you're going to have the students to fill the jobs and people that are interested in those industries, and that you can get here, that you can get through the airport in Madison and and have a meeting with somebody that's from Japan or South America, and that that's an option. So all of those things have to work together, and you know, I don't have a perfect solution as to what that looks like, but if the partnerships are across various parallels, I think we'll see some of that happen faster. And I don't want to um, you know, be disappointed in Madison, but having the university that we do here, and the fact that that doesn't necessarily translate down to the elementary, middle, and high school level, and then up to out into the real world is sort of disappointing. Madison, the university is this bubble that has a great opportunity to be a broker between both of those places, and I think that um, playing a more active role is important there. One of the things that I felt that I was uh, lacking or hungry for was more diversity. I believe I went to Edgewood High School, and I think I was one of three um, a, a woman of color, woman of color, people of color in my graduating class. Um, so as soon as I graduated Edgewood High School, I was hungry to get to UW and get in contact with, um, you know, meet people from everywhere, whether it be international students or people from bigger cities, from New York, from California. And all my friends um, were very diverse, and I just, I was hungry for that. And ultimately, when I graduated, it still wasn't enough. I wanted to get the bigger city feel. I needed that diversity because with diversity comes creativity and also a lack of industry. At the time, I wanted to work at a news station, possibly a Spanish language news station. And here in Madison, there, there isn't. There is not. A, there's a radio station, but there's no Spanish uh, TV station. And that the thing, the opportunities that I was that I was searching for weren't present at the moment in Madison. But I will say that it thinks I come back constantly. I've been to Miami, I've been living in St. Louis and now Houston, and every year that I come back, there's more opportunities. I see how much everything has grown. There's so much more diversity, and um, I pose this question all the time. If I were graduating now, would I still, would I, would I be so quick to leave? Would I still um, be craving that diversity? And I think it's changed. I think there's been a shift, and I think the answer would be, I would have to think about it. Um, just that the woman said that she's, she said that she was sad that why, all, why is everyone leaving and I just got offered a job? And now I've, I've been reflecting on Madison and thinking, would I be so quick to leave? And I think the answer would be maybe not. Things are changing. Can I add a yeah, follow-up to that? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think it's interesting thinking about our ages. We're all in our early to mid-30s, and technology wasn't what it is today when we were leaving school. So this idea that you could find other women that are 5'10 that like the Packers and volleyball, and those are that's your interest group, that wasn't available. And I think that that is helping to change things, but I also think technology is a stressor in the sense that it's different. People don't walk up to each other like Andrew mentioned and say, hi, I'm Andrew Bentley, do you want to start a nonprofit? So there's this double-edged sword of the value of technology in making connections, but then letting those connections become real-life, person-to-person things that allow real opportunity to happen. So I think technology has to be a part of the solution, but not the solution. One thing that I would add, uh, even just in an observation of this conference this week, like if we could use this as an example, uh, this, this space uh, that's been created kindly and generously by the Capital Times and all their sponsors, the, all of the assets feel like they're in Wisconsin, right? Like wonderful people, actually lots of diversity, lots of intersectionality. And it's kind of what you do with those chess pieces, right? So on opening night, did anyone go to the opening night keynote here? Raise of hands. Awesome. So super interesting, really inspiring to hear from all of these incredible journalists and David Axelrod, and that was really special. And it's funny and funky, let's say, to you know, say it gracefully, to us having lived in other cities, I would say, or at least to me personally, to go to something where the first night it's all white executives of a cer- certain socioeconomic status who are on stage talking about millennials, and you know, we are here, we're a panel at the event, um, and just not to have more intersectionality to set the tone for the experience, right? To not have two of us maybe on stage with them to comment out of our mouths how we feel about it, how we feel about the matters that are being discussed, and also just that visibility is so important because it's kind of like how movies play out on big screens, right? So if that's how the entire conference starts, when there are many people of color and interesting intersectional folks that could be up there kicking things off, when we are always starting with the same visuals, it starts to feel less and less inspiring. And for each of us, as we're saying, we see the assets, the capital, the cultural capital, the people capital that's in Wisconsin, and we have been primed, even in a pop cultural sense, that in the cities that we've been living in, that doesn't fly. You, don't, you can't kick off an event or a big experience or some kind of address without being more reflective of who lives in the real world. And so I think now that it's 2018, it's just exciting as an opportunity. And personally, why I came home is I'm like, man, all as I keep saying, all of the assets are here. It's almost like a game of The Sims that people just have to play with the chess pieces in a different way. And so I think there are really practical ways to address matters of intersectionality and diversity with the richness that is here. It's just simply kind of for people in power to consider how they use various platforms to change and bring visibility into the modern century. Um, And then look at who that attracts and how magnetic that can be. One thing that I'd love you to touch on, Andrew, is just that uh, Andrew, having just moved to Minneapolis, I'd love to comment, have you comment just on how it's kind of an interesting experiment watching this Minneapolis-Madison, or rather Minnesota-Wisconsin binary that's developing, and you know how, at least amongst our generation, there is a lot of attraction to going to Minneapolis. People think it's more fun, it's interesting. 
there's words that are pretty basic around human enjoyment that they kind of ascribe to the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And I liked how you use the word mood, meaning like when visibility isn't really intersectional and these things aren't happening on a citywide level, at events, at conferences, in public spaces, the mood just kind of gets driven down. And so people don't, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't feel inspiring, it doesn't feel attractive, it doesn't feel aspirational. And so maybe you can comment on how you've seen that play out differently so far in Minnesota. And, yeah, and to piggyback quickly on your comment there, I think that the, I don't know what you call them, pe expats? People who, like, the Wisconsin expats? We, we all talk a lot. When I was living in Brooklyn, there were two other Lancer grads there, and we hung out all the time. And we shared articles. We read Madison.com, and we share the good things that are happening. We share the bad things. And I remember a study came up talking about like inequities, and we passed it around and sat and drank beer and talked, uh, for those of you at Free Press, just moderately and responsibly. Um, and we'd talk about what those studies meant and how we felt about it and what Madison's doing about it. And we read the cap times and all of this stuff as Audrey mentioned, is amplified. And people will read about this Ideas Fest and they'll take away great things about it, but they also may notice there wasn't enough representation on uh, you know, the first night or, and things like that. So those things do really, really matter and add to the narrative that builds about a city and whether or not it's an attractive place to go home once you have a child and you want to be closer to your parents. To your Minnesota v. Wisconsin, I think, uh, analysis, it's really fascinating for me being from Wisconsin and now just moving to Minnesota six weeks ago, so I'm a vet there. I got new license plates and everything. Um, my neighbor went to Edgewood. There's actually a collection of Madisonians around my neighborhood. There's a bunch of us, so we've just started, I've started talking to them about why you're here and why not in Madison. I think that mood is a really good word. I think the most people were brought up there because of the business climate, more so than anything. When we've talked about diversity, we've talked about all these things, but when it comes to places I've moved, it's usually for a job, and it's a job I'm excited about, and it's because I know if that job fails, there are other jobs nearby that I'm also interested in, and people are excited there. They're doing innovative work. The next great company might come from there. I can have a lot of responsibility. I can be there. Um, and I think Minneapolis has a really positive mood right now. Uh, part of it, we could, I mean, this conversation could go in the direction of state politics and policy. I think after the Great Recession, they increased taxes and they increased education spending and they attracted a lot of business and this state did different things and you can see on almost every measure, Minnesota has won in terms of economic um, status and I think that matters. It's not like our generation are looking at you know metrics like patents filed you know per capita to determine which business climate is better. Minnesota's ranked fourth in the country by the way. I am a nerd and look at that stuff. Um, but they do understand a spirit of innovation. And those patents, you know, instead of looking at the pat patents numbers, they know that those big businesses there, which are diverse, they have biotech, obviously they have a great university, which parallels this, but they also have, you know, uh, insurance, they have a big tech industry, consulting is huge there, and you feel a spirit of innovation there. 
And, uh, and I think that is something that is extremely attractive to people. It's attractive to me knowing, you know, if I come here and I'm looking for a new job, there's more opportunity for things I really would like to latch onto. And I think innovation is important for our generation. So I went to the University of Minnesota, and granted, I have been in Washington for 10 years now, so I, it's been a while since I've lived in Minneapolis, but I felt that when I went there, when I graduated uh, in 2005, and the great, I went to the university that was interested in research and connecting business and students and culture and had a great art scene, and also if you wanted to be a literary major, there was you know, probably book publishers that you could get connected with. But in the four years I was there, I was able to have internships in the Twin Cities metro area at a Fortune 100 company for a politician who was a really moderate, reasonable human. Um, I worked at an ad agency and, and also worked on campus with the, the business school as well as the fraternity and sorority community. I had this incredibly diverse experience that let me see what else was in that community and the school always tied it back to the community and the community always tied it back to the schools that were younger than us in, uh, in you know, elementary, middle, and, and uh, high school education. And to see Minneapolis grow and continue to grow is great, but you want to see that sauce come four hours down 94 to be in Madison too, because Andrew's right, a lot of us did go there and are staying there, and there's no reason that that can't be replicated with the same talent pool that we have here. But that feeling of, I think there's a... Um, a positivity about taking a risk. There are some really well-established businesses, like 3M has been around for forever, but Medtronic hasn't been around for that long. And, you know, there's a, a lot to fall back on in Minneapolis if you lose a job at, say, Oscar Mayer. Well, where else were you going to work if that was all that was here? Um, so I think there's things like that that Madison doesn't have a lot of backup plans where Minneapolis may. So I'll touch on the point. Um, you said it. I've moved everywhere for my job uh, St. Louis, Miami, now Houston, and that's been major a major league baseball. Uh, Madison doesn't have a, a major league baseball team. The, the closest one is in Milwaukee. But when I left the St. Louis Cardinals, I was actually interviewing for um, the Minnesota Twins, and I was runner-up. But I, and I remember telling my mom, I'm like, if I'm going to move back to the Midwest, why would I go to Minneapolis? Like, I want to come. I would just move to Madison. But there just wasn't. I was always torn because there wasn't. That my industry isn't here. And um, I had this, I think, this perception of, of Minneapolis. I didn't know much about it, um, but it was just the point of if I'm going to be back to the Midwest, I want to be back in Madison. But again, we're touching on maybe Madison is maybe lacking the sports industry, and we haven't touched on that. Uh, we've talked about multiple industries, but Madison, unfortunately, doesn't have a major league um, sports or culture that, uh, that I ultimately, if I wanted to keep them working in sports, I couldn't come back here. Totally. I want to touch on a comment that Andrew made also just to kind of round out the idea that we're, I think our generation is really, I like how he says, attracted to innovation and not just entrepreneurship as like a slice, right? So Andrew made a fabulous point that I'm just going to paraphrase for the sake of time, which is that when Kansas City and certain arenas decide that they may be the next Silicon Valley. So, you know, Kansas City is known to call themselves Silicon Prairie. Uh, and there are many times that someone has tried to tell me about the budding tech sector in Madison, which I don't discredit or deny. I think fabulous entrepreneurship both comes out of the university and just, you know, people like Andrew who end up on Shark Tank, right? Uh, and 
that mono industry focus, like we're kind of a one-trick pony generation, just isn't really realistic. Uh, Andrew wrote down a great point that just said when it comes to innovation, it's not just startups popping up everywhere, but it's legacy companies that are in need of skilled labor and fostering ambitious cultures within there. And so whether it's the education system and middle school teachers in Madison, like acro across industries, we don't, there's no mono industry moment that each of us are looking for the same thing, but we are looking for that spirit of innovation thread. And so at the end of the day, there's no way any of us can address like, where's that spirit of innovation gonna come from? Who's gonna be that beacon of, that kernel of optimism? And Andrew's proving that like, he's going to Minneapolis. He's already tried to recruit me. But just that truly, so people have to. People are going back to and doing this around the country. They're going to Burlington, Vermont. They're going back to Eugene, Oregon. And individuals who have been somewhere else in the world to a point that was also raised in the beginning, it's not that it's terrible that people go to school here and want to leave and experience other places. I know Andrew went to Brazil and told me, as I have mentioned to you, I loved how you said you went to Brazil and you just culturally got to see a whole other dynamic of how there aren't these binary moments and labels that we put people in, but you got to just see a spectrum of people and you'll bring that back with you in your spirit, in your heart, in your work, whether it's Minnesota, Madison, or elsewhere. There's an instinct of, of local politicians and state politicians to want to get as many tech companies as possible, right? And they'll try to get more venture capital dollars per capita. That's their metric. They look every year. They want to do that. And I think that instinct is fine. It's important to have a strong tech industry in a city and have really great companies that are innovative like Epic in a city. Um, but at the same time, that can't be the sole concentration of your economic growth efforts because I've seen cities that do that, like San Francisco and Seattle. I lived out there for a while. And you're at the whims of that industry. So you're at the whims of the booms, which is gentrification, where the local businesses leave and things get more expensive and you have housing crisis. And that wears on your culture as well and it's combative and there's tension. It's one of the reasons I left San Francisco and didn't want to live there. And you're, whim you're at the whims of the boom as well, right? And um, which, is, which, which are, can be good problems, but it is also chaos and it can exacerbate in, uh, the inequalities. Um, so I think a, an approach that is more about diversity of industry and diversity of opportunity is really important at the local level. Um, and supporting those local businesses in really strong and smart ways in terms of zoning uh, and in terms of economic incentive and culturally supporting those local businesses is really important. It is one of the reasons that I'm attracted to the Twin Cities. They have 19 Fortune 500 companies headquartered there and they're across the board in terms of industry. So they're, they're not recession proof, obviously no one is, but they're boom and bust proof. Uh, and that's something that's really attractive to me as, a, uh, as somebody that's not fixed in one sort of profession. So I'm in client services, and Audrey ran through a short snippet of the laundry list of industries that my clients are in. And I see that all over the country 
every day all over the world, frankly, with all of the different things that they do. And, you know, you, you can have an agricultural business in Wisconsin. It, we are still the dairy state. There's innovation that can happen in the agricultural field that can make people that maybe have never spent time on a farm interested in sustainable farming and how that translates to the food supply. And then the food supply translates to retail and retail translates to transportation. And there are all these things that if you think about one item product or service, there are a thousand other businesses that can be spread from there. So I think think small, sure think big, but you know, you can have a company that's five people and make an immense impact on a community and that could completely change, you know, the course of many people's lives. And entrepreneurship doesn't have to be the next best coded app that you know, becomes a, a multi-billion dollar enterprise. My firm is not a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And, you know, it's great that we employ people and that we do well and we want others to do well in our community, but we're 25 people. So you don't have to think like, you know, you have to be the next Apple. As diehard Madisonians, when we go drive by State Street and it starts looking more like Chicago, we're pretty bummed, right? There's businesses that we love that we don't, we can visit Chicago, but we don't necessarily need State Street to keep looking more and more like high-rises, fancy overpriced dinners that aren't that good. Uh, you know, techno music coming from the sushi place by the square. And so that's cute and cool, and frankly, things have life cycles, you know what I mean? So you can trust that lo micro-local things will come back and those things will have their moment. Um, but what I would say to what you're talking about is that I, I look forward to more people who grew up here, who have went and lived somewhere elsewhere in the world, and seen, who have seen businesses that really make people happy and healthy. So it could be different nightlife options, which Madison could definitely use a dose of, especially for intersectional music choice all of the things around where you want to take a date, what you want to dance to, that's an obvious. And there are cool people like DJ Boyfriend and folks that I've met this summer who I love that they're pushing the boundaries of nightlife here. And there's just things like, who's going to come back and open like the first good juice shop? Or who's going to be like, wow, people drink a lot here because in the winter it's freezing and there isn't much to do. Could we open like a Korean spa or a Turkish spa or something that's really affordable? that you pay $10 to have entry and you get to go soak and be in a sauna and take care of yourself. So I think that's the benefit of as people go explore in the world, I hope that they're gonna come back and find a small business loan and start to say, it doesn't have to be these big high-rise apartments and overpriced restaurants, but what are like cool, healthy, interesting things that we don't have to wait for anyone else to open, but one of us can open. I consistently I'm trying to recruit my brother who doesn't even live in the United States anymore to be like we have to open a juice shop you've saved more money than me I need you <laughs>
came from me growing up here in Madison. My foundation was here in Madison, and I go out into the world and meet so many different people and exposed to so many different industries and powerful people. And I'm, the first thing that I say, I am an alumni from the University of Madison, Wisconsin, and say, wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, more so than when I say I got my master's degree at Florida International University. Um, <laughs> when I'm just so proud to be part of this community, I'm proud that I came from here. Like I said, uh, I... I I, throughout my, my life, when I got my master's degree, when I moved away, my level of education, my formation is so, it's different than my peers and my colleagues, and I'm so proud of that. Um, and when I was working and living in St. Louis and for the Cardinals, I was, I was contacted by somebody, um, our alumni magazine, and I was on the cover of it, and that's when it really hit me a year, two years ago, that I said, wow, I, I feel so accomplished, and I feel so proud to be from here. And um, I will take that with me throughout my years. I think despite not living here for many years and my parents don't live here anymore and my ties to Madison shift sort of constantly, it always feels like home. I get off the plane at the airport in Madison and sure something's changed, but like there is a breath that you take that just feels very comfortable. And because I'm in client services and my clients are all over the country, I have no clients in Madison. And one of my hopes is to try and recruit some Madison companies to be clients so that I can start to make those changes here because I can't move my business here yet. Um, maybe at some point there could be an office, but if I can start to get my talents into organizations and infrastructures that are already here and people that are here and help mold and shift and, you know, make some of the things that I've learned be an opportunity or a, a, a potential stream of change here, I want to do it. And I can't live here yet. Maybe I'll never live here again. You never know. It's really cold. Um, <laughs> I hate to say I'm such a wimp now, but I, I want to have as many ties to Madison, both people, professionally, and just make sure that it doesn't, doesn't fade away because I'm not here. Um, I think uh, I thought two things when Audrey called me and said, hey, can you be on this panel? Um, the first was, wait, I get to sit on a panel with these amazing, beautiful people? Absolutely, I'd love to do this, especially the Lancers. Edgewood's nice too, but... I mean, this is, this is amazing. Um, my second thought was, this is really hard talking about how Madison can improve for me. It's like my wife asking me, how can I be a better person? And you're like, oh, this is, this is a trick. People are going to listen to this. I don't know, diversity. Um, <laughs> uh, but my heart is here, and it always will be. And I think that's what it matters at the end of the day, it's love. And I think Madison has some things to improve, but if it works on those, the infrastructure is here to draw more people to come back or to stay. And it's not like it's doing a terrible job. I have a lot of friends from high school that have left. They went to Chicago and Sweden and New York and Los Angeles, and they're back in Wisconsin, and they're here with their families, and they're doing great. There's a lot of them. And they're better for leaving and coming back. And I'm excited to see them every time I come back now. And this is sort of like me coming back, even though I'm up 94. Um, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. I lastly wanted to shout out Simpson Street Free Press. It's so cool to see these students here. It warms my heart. You're probably doing amazing things. And I can't wait to uh, pick up the la latest issue and read all your bylines. So thanks for being here. 
And thank you to Audrey for assembling us. We have all had touch points on each other at different times in our lives, but uh, you're the glue. I love that. Well, last but not least, I just want to say that in hanging with these awesome people and getting to hang with so many of you this summer, I think the resounding thing for me, especially, you know, at the heels of the end of this conference, is just that we have two final messages, right? There's total optimism here. People are, people are like, jealous that we got to come back and do this. This is an, like, people, we're, we're honored that the Cap Times even would host us here, and it's because we could cry, like, it's like, I feel like this was like a coup, like, all of our parents are in front, like, uh, but there's a really heartfelt, like, emotional center that everyone feels who leaves here. And it's really hard to live this far away, right? There isn't, there isn't some, like, poo-poo of everyone moving on from Madison and feeling like they're holier than thou. It's actually that you get through your 20s, you turn around if you're going to start a family or wherever you might end up. And it's so hard to feel like an orphan living far away in the world. So this is, we're on, we're on team progress for Wisconsin because it will make a lot of our lives easier. It'd be more fun to be closer to family and to have reasons and seasons to be here. And that's going to come from really reset, resetting the table, so to speak, right? So the resounding thing that we've been talking about is that to attract people and to keep people, you have to reset the table, the proverbial table of what's happening here. And specific ways that I think we feel that you can all do that is that we want you to say, hey, Cap Times, we love that last panel. Like, we want to see next time more diverse intersectional people, age-wise, culturally, background-wise, on stage the opening night. And we also saw all those students from Simpson Street Free Press. Like, where was the youth panel? Could we have a youth panel next time in terms of literally the young people who know more than we do because they're physically living and breathing and growing here right now? And so I think that's our civic duty is that you got to open your business. Yellow hat friend Louisa has to keep being that beacon. Uh, and I think it's, it's a really exciting time for us to demand more intersectional spaces that we know will attract people. We know that those are the magnets drawing people to other cities. And Madison has all the pieces. It's just about the visibility and not being comfortable with the status quo of another space that's predominantly white and predominantly led by men in the state. And that could be at your church, it could be at your school or conferences. And so just feel, feel the confidence and liberty to ask for more and tell them that we sent you and then give them our number. Uh, thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening to Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes or anywhere else you find podcasts. If you like it, please give us a rating or a review. We'd appreciate it. We're also releasing audio from the fest on some of our other podcasts here at the Cap Times. Shows like The Corner Table, The Madsplainers, and Cap Times Talks. Be sure to give those a listen. I'm Eric Lawrenson, and thanks again for tuning in. Thank you.